This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I am Jeff Sharon, along with Brian Murphy. Our friend Eric Lopez will join us a little bit later. Uh, as he is still uh, he is still coming uh, coming back from UCF softball's uh, game against uh, Mizzou, which we'll talk about him a little bit later. But Mr. Murphy, how are you? We're here to talk about football coaches, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> football coaches. Hey, Gus got his staff done in, th- in nine in days. Th- nine days. Yeah, that's. That's rapid. Nine days. I wonder if he's a fan of that song, uh, This is the Story of a Girl Who Cried a River and Drowned the Whole World. Wait, wait, wait. Bad alternative rock joke. So I know the song, but I don't understand what you're going for. Okay, the name of the band is Nine Days. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, you didn't get that. Oh, my gosh. No, because I would. Did I I throw a pop culture reference past you? Holy smokes. No. I'm sorry that I don't know of I don't know the name of the band of a like of late like late nineties alternative rock one hit wonders. Yeah, like a, <laughs> like a like a one hit wonder by definition. Um, but you know when she looks so sad in photographs, but when she's you know. But she, I absolutely, absolutely love her when she smiles. That's right. Thank so. you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so, and this 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 podcast off to a blazing. Yeah, spot. we're yeah we're already off the rails, and Eric's not even here. Um, the. <laughs> Uh, but we are going to talk about uh, Gus Malzahn's staff. Uh, we're also going to talk about some personnel additions for UCF. Mark Anthony Richards joining from Auburn, the four-star running back. You know how much I hate stars, so we're going to talk about how legit that is. Um, but we are going to begin by talking about basketball. Oh, and but before we do that, a uh, reminder, second segment also, we're going to have Anthony Lenahan on, uh, who uh, wrote his uh, two-piece uh, treatise, if you will, on what to expect from UCF's offense under... Gus Malzahn, we broke it down by the running game and the passing game, and Ant's got some great insight in that. Um, you know, as he always does uh, when he when Anthony parachutes in, you know it's going to be some good stuff, some excellent hashtag content to bring your way. So, uh, so we'll hear from him in the second second. But first, let's talk about basketball. And all right, so uh, now we know that 96 hours ago UCF won at Tulane by three, 84, 81, in a game that was the diametric opposite of the one that they played. Back on February 12th, where uh, it was 53-49, also UCF win. But let's step back for a hot second, and ju- Brian Murphy, and just take stock of where UCF basketball is right now, the men's team. They're 8-11, 6-10 in the conference. But uh, since the back-to-back losses at Memphis, this team has won four of the last six and the two losses were each by one point. Mm-hmm. So you had written earlier um, this month about how the team is on the verge of coming around the corner. You're starting to see things kind of gel a little bit. And given the last two results we've seen, the win at home against South Florida by 16 points, probably the best overall play that they've ga- game that they've played since, uh, since the Florida State game last week, and then the uh, and now the win against Tulane. Of course, they were scheduled to play SMU on Tuesday, but that got canceled because SMU totally wiped their season. But as we head down now to these last three games, home for Temple, home for Tulsa, and then at ECU, 
what are you starting to see from this team that that is giving you a sense of okay they're starting to figure things out together I think the best part is that the the ball movement and ball security has been better. Remember, we, we harped on this endlessly during that road trip with with you know the, the all the turnovers against Wichita State, uh, Memphis, you know Tulsa. But you know these last few games, they've had their highest assist totals uh, in each of the last two games. They had sixteen. Uh, um, they had uh, excuse me. They had uh, sixteen against Cincinnati, and then uh, twenty two against um, Tulane, and, and it was a season high in that, in that win last weekend. I, I feel like they're taking better care of the ball. They're setting, they're getting themselves in better positions for, you know, for, for good shots. Um, and then you've seen some star turns, guys who have taken their game to, the, to another level, guys who seem to have developed within the system. Um, offensively, you, you can't look at C.J. Walker and say that's the same player that we saw back in December because it's right. not. You know, it's it's not like his 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 offensive um, skill set. You know, he's not shooting jumpers, but he's being much more aggressive in the paint. He made some post moves. He's driving in the lane. It's not like he's only a putback guy now, which is what he really was for most of the year. Uh, when he gets the ball in the post, he tries to go to work, and it's been it's been it's been pretty successful for him. And um, so I think I think those two things have stood out, and obviously Isaiah Adams. Uh, just had a ridiculous game against Tulane. Uh, you know, it's you know, I know it has the consistency hasn't been there, but for a true freshman in a COVID season uh, where this team has had a pause, just to see these flashes has been really important. So, like you can see, like, well, maybe we can't even see the ceiling yet because but the ceiling is awfully high. Yeah, against uh, against Tulane, I, th- these numbers just yeah are just bear repeating. Isaiah ten for eleven in thirty two minutes from the floor. Four of five from three-point range, twenty-six points, three rebounds, five assists, uh, and and one steal, uh, and that was it. And that's his career high to this point. And he, what I loved watching about that game was it, it was almost like a quiet twenty-six because he was in such a flow in the offense. Um, it he, he wasn't. It, it, there's nothing about. I, this is going to sound bad. This is going to sound like I'm saying he's not explosive, but that's not the case. We know he's explosive, but when, but he wasn't forcing the issue, right? I mean, he was just picking in the right spots, finding himself some some open spots on the floor, and and when he got his looks, he just he just uh, he he took advantage. He was uh, uh, he won the um, didn't he win the conference uh, player of the Fresh, week award? Uh, the, yeah, he was the. Conference, freshman of the week, freshman of the week. Yeah, fresh. Yeah, freshman of the week this past week. Um, although he could have been player of the week with that performance, but um, he was struggling there for a little bit, right? But you're starting to. But what have you seen him do on the floor that has that has us seeing like how much more comfortable that he is? Well, you know, two games is a small sample size. It's really hard to draw a ton out of, and it's dangerous to do so. But no, it's not. Go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but but and the but is I'm going to do it anyway. So watch me. Right. Uh, you know, before these past two games, Isaiah was seven for 30, seven for thirty five from three point range, and his last two, he's seven for ten. Uh, and we talked to him a little bit about that after the game against Tulane, and he said, you know, just. Obviously, it's you know the coaches have been harping on him to not get discouraged, not get frustrated, keep working on your shot, and he's done that. Like he's put in the work ethic. Johnny Dawkins will speak to this too. That he has you know 
or late nights, you know, in the, in the complex, in the gym, just putting up shots. And he has seemed to seem to have changed his three point release a little bit, um, held the release a little longer to, to, you know, to sort of remind himself to stay in his form when he's in a good form to stay in it. And right now he's in a good form. Um, so he's found something, I think, from the from the perimeter and he's really worked hard at it. And I think as long as he stays with, uh, you know, you know, with the, the the form and the release he's got right now, I think that could, that that could possibly continue. Not that he's going to hit seventy percent of his threes, but I think he won't be the negative that he was from that distance, you know, for most of the season. Um, but in this Tulane game was really the like the apotheosis of what this team has been building for the past six seven games. We talked about how well they've been playing recently. Like they they set they set season highs in three pointers three pointers made assists. Field goal percentage, um, and and this was not an easy game. They had to battle, and right. they closed out the game really, really strong. Uh, you know, they the stretch there, the, the down the stretch where they basically just, they, they, you know, there was that was a game where no one could miss at one point in the second half where neither team could miss, and then UCF's defense ratcheted up a little bit um, and really turned off the the faucet for Tulane, and, and they just kind of UCF kind of pulled away at the end. But it was a close game. They had a battle on the road. Early tip time too, which got them off to a really slow start. So through all that, I thought they, you know, they really, really showed something, um, and have showed something for weeks. And not, you know, and you mentioned the close losses, like they've lost, they lost two, two games to Wichita State by combined six points. And Wichita State is the top ranked team in the conference right now, by you know, by winning by winning percentage. So you know, I'm not saying this that, that UCF is in that stratosphere, because I don't think that. But you know, I don't. I think their record right now is deceptive um, because of you know how badly they played for so long out of the COVID break. You know, eight and eleven and six and ten is not indicative of what this team is. Lopez has joined us uh, here at, at, now. He's now that he's back home from the softball game, which we'll talk about in the third segment. But uh, uh, let's take a look at the American uh, men's basketball standings right now that you touched upon, Murph. Um, Houston's at 12 and three. Wichita's at nine and two. So Wichita has that uh, edge by 18 one thousandths of a, of a percentage point uh, right now. Memphis at eight and three. SMU seven and four. And UCF has three games remaining, and they're right now in the seven spot uh, in the uh, in the conference standings. They're four games under 500. Cincinnati's Cincinnati and Tulsa are right above them at, at 500. Tulsa's seven and seven. Cincinnati's five and five. And this is all just a total mess because nobody's playing the same number of games. Um, but let's look at that schedule to to finish out here because it's two home games uh, with Temple on Saturday, and we talked about how Temple's at five hundred at, at seven and seven. And then uh, you have uh, Tulsa coming in on Tuesday, March the second, uh, and Tulsa right now is seven and seven. So this is a chance for UCF not to catch those two in the standings, um, but at least to measure up against them uh, prior to their uh, season finale at ECU, who is dead last in the conference at two and eight. So what do you want to, what do you think we'll be able to learn about this team in these last two home games before obviously the road finale, and then they head on out to, uh, and then they head out to Dallas for the American Championship. Well, these are winnable games. This, I mean, these are not. You know, I think there's a clear tier of the the elites, if, if as it were, 
in this conference, and, and none of these three teams are in that are in that tier. These are winnable, all three winnable games. UCF could could very very well finish this season on a five game winning streak. Um, the Temple game is interesting just because it's another good defense. There's a ton of great defensive teams in this conference. This conference is really made about defense, but to, uh, Temple is is um, only allowing 45 percent shooting from below the three point line. So from two point range, 45 percent shooting at the top 30 in the nation. So again, it'll be interesting to see how UCF operates uh, against that defense, you know. But uh, with guys like Darius Perry and Isaiah Adams and Darren Green Jr., like this team's been shooting the ball well from three, so we might see a lot more of that. Um, but I think the fact is, this team could win five in a row, uh, end it, and then they would end it what nine and ten in conference. Yeah, uh, and be four points and, away from winning seven in a row. Right, and you would, you know, you know, momentum is fickle and. It's it's unquantifiable. We mentioned about momentum and what does it really mean? But I mean, it's certainly you win five in a row, you, and you feel like you've you've erased all those demons that this that were really dogging this team once they came back from their COVID pause. Uh, that this is they, you could almost you could almost believe you could almost tell yourself and believe that that this team, like I've said, is not the team we saw six seven weeks ago. It's it's a totally different team. So. Um, and I, I think if they finish, if they finish out this season strong, if they finish the, the, the regular slate strong, uh, I think they'll carry that confidence into the conference tournament. All right. So we'll keep an eye up. By the way, if they do win these last three regular season games, uh, the two at home and ECU, UCF would finish at exactly 500 in the regular season, 11 and 11. Um, they would be 9 and 10 in the conference if they did that. But still, to, to get to 500 before the conference championship, I think would be uh, would, would be a pretty good achievement for for this squad. I want to flip over and talk about the uh, women's team. We'll talk about this, Eric Lopez, because they are in a position right now where uh, they as they as they come down the stretch. This is the big stretch that we were talking about, right? Um, they're twelve and two, ten and one in the league, and their last three are Saturday at noon against Temple. And then they have the back-to-back with South Florida, which is going to be the separation games. Uh, you know, basically the, the two-game series to, de- to determine the uh, the regular season crown in the Americans. So uh, we know that UCF lost to Temple up in Philadelphia last time they played, which is all the way back on January 9th. They lost by three points. I don't know what it is about freaking Temple um, and and playing up there. Uh, but uh, UCF's last loss to Temple in Orlando was back in uh, 2017. Uh, the Knights have won, uh, let's see, one, two, three in a row in uh, three in a row at home against Temple since. Um, what do we have to see here from this team uh, as they go forward, uh, coming off of the uh, coming off of a week where they uh, took care of Tulsa by two, but it was a really it was it was it was a rougher battle than it should have been, right? Yeah, it it was. And uh, look, let's not let's cut to the chase. Their season's on the line now. In the next two weeks, they have to win this game against Temple. There is no in its or buts. Now, South Florida beat Temple on Wednesday. So, you look at the standings right now. UCF's one back of USF. USF, I believe, goes to Houston uh, this weekend. While well, UCF hosts Temple, they must win that game. They cannot lose that game. They got to play better than what they did against Tulsa because there's no room for error. In my opinion, 
They have to split with South Florida to get into the NCAA tournament. If they lose both games to South Florida next week, in my opinion, they have to win the conference tournament to get into the field. And so that's – you cannot have a slip-up, especially at home against Temple. And if what you're hoping for is you beat Temple, you're hoping South Florida drops a game at Houston, and then all of a sudden now, you know, you got a shot to win the regular season title. I think it's a big ask to ask them to beat South Florida back-to-back games. I think that is very difficult. So to me, I think UCF needs some help to win the conference. If they don't get that help, I still think they need to get a split to feel good about their chances to make the tournament because here's the problem. If they don't beat South Florida, their best win is probably LSU, which is a bubble team right now. Yeah. Um, And so the resume isn't that great. So I I would feel better if they can at least split with South Florida. Otherwise, they're going to have to win the conference tournament uh, to secure a spot. Otherwise, they could be left-handed. So this is a critical critical two weeks and I think it's important that they cannot overlook this Temple game because if they lose at home to Temple that now the conference championship is lost and now you're you're in a spot where man we got to really beat South Florida maybe both games and make a run in the conference tournament so this is a pressure cooker and if you're UCF you're hoping your goal is to set up that March 4th game to be the biggest home game in program history, which is which, which would mean that the conference championships on the line. Eric, if 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 let's assume that UCF takes care of Temple, and then you say if, if they split, you feel good. If they split against USF, how much work, if any, do you feel like they had to do in the conference tournament? I would feel better if they got to the final, um, okay. just to be safe with the committee. Uh, you know, it, it, it but you know, it, it would obviously if you beat South Florida, you split with them. That's a quality top 20, top 25 win. I don't know. I don't have the uh, the net in front of me right now. I'm sure, Jeff, you could look that up. But that's a that's their by far would be their best quality win. Uh, right now, it's probably between LSU and Tulane as their best wins. But I, I, Tulane's not going to make the tournament unless they win the conference tournament. So uh, to me, if you split with USF, I think you can get to the final. And if you lose, it's not it, you're fine. You're good. My worry, Murph is if you lose early in the tournament to, say, a Tulane or a or a Houston or whatever, however the draw comes out, that team could jump you, okay, and and, and maybe steal the spot from you. I'm looking at uh, Charlie Cream's deal here. UCF is one of the last four teams in right now. Houston is one of the first four out. LSU is also one of the next four out. So – it could come down to who's the team that knocks off South Florida first, Houston or UCF, to could get that second spot from the American. That's how big this is. Or perhaps it could come down to if it's South Florida in the final, is it Houston or UCF in the final? So there's a lot of variables here. But if you're UCF, you cannot lose to Temple. I cannot emphasize that enough. Yeah. Um, UCF right now, I don't have the net breakdown in front of me, but UCF right now is at 45 in the net. Um, South Florida's 17. 17, which which, which actually surprises me that, that that seems low because look at what they have done. They only have one loss on the season, and that was by five points at home against number one, number four, Baylor. Um, and then the next game, they beat number six, Mississippi State, by four in overtime at home. Um, now, I know that the it's the conference schedule that kind of is a drag on that ranking, but still, that's a... That, <laughs> I mean, they have only one loss, and it was the number four team in the country. Um 
And and so that that shows you also how critically important this game is for UCF if they can if they can get one yeah. of them uh, yeah. against USF. Huge. It's I mean, I'm, I'm looking at huge. the I'm looking at it. UCF's 45 in the latest net rankings as we record this late Wednesday night. Houston's 53. Yeah. Tulane's 55. LSU 60. Remember that LSU win? We thought yep. it was going to be. Oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, not right. Not really. LSU's eight and eleven. That hurts them right now. And that Temple loss hurts them a lot. Yeah, because Temple's, Temple. Temple's 154th. Yeah. Yeah. That's killer. And yeah. and unfortunately, when you're in a league like the American is in women's basketball, which is not a strong league compared to other leagues, you have slip-ups like that. It could cost you. So the good news from the American is they could be in position to get a second team in. The question is, who can knock off South Florida either in the regular season or especially in the conference tournament? Those are the scenarios that has to play out in the next two weeks. We'll focus on the short term, and I think it starts this weekend. Houston's hosting South Florida, and if you're UCF, you've got to split with USF, beat Temple, and maybe you know it's kind of risky. You would actually want Houston to beat South Florida because you would have a shot at the regular season title in that scenario, but it, it's going to be a wild finish. Yeah, it is, it is going to be wild. By the way, Quick little honor roll. I thought this was interesting to just mention before we take a quick break here and we get to Anthony Lenahan talking about football. But um, earlier uh, today, uh, Cincinnati defeated ECU 76-61. Did you guys see Imari Thomas of uh, Cincinnati uh, became just the second player in the history of the University of Cincinnati to score 50 or more in a game? She scored 51 points. Um, made 20 shots, uh, most points scored by an NCAA Division I women's basketball player this season. Um, little trivia question here for you, boys. Who is the last Cincinnati basketball player, men's or women's, to score 50 points in a game? Well, I saw the tweet, so I know All the right, answer. All right, so you can't answer it. Eric? Uh, Nick Van Axel? Nope. Oscar okay. Robertson. That a boy, Oscar. Yeah. So, oh. Imari, about how about that? Amari Thomas and Oscar Robertson in the same breath. She was twenty at twenty-seven from the floor, eleven to thirteen from the line, fifty points, twelve rebounds, four assists, and a steal. Wow! Congrats to Amari. Um, that's 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 what a what a day for her. And a great basketball player too for Cincinnati. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll detour over to football. Anthony Lenahan is gonna join us. He wrote two articles this week. Uh, breaking down UCF's offense under Gus Malzahn on both the run and the pass game. We'll talk about that. What's in store for Dylan Gabriel? What does he expect from DG this season? And who are the skill position players that he expects to have big breakout years in 2021? Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Joining us now on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, our guy from on staff, Anthony Lenahan, squints underscore 15 on Twitter, our football whiz here uh, on the Black and Gold Banneret staff. Anthony, what's going on, man? How are you? Not much hanging in there. How are you? Good. Glad we got you on, on board the show here. You know, I, I know that we don't have you on all that often, but I know it's when we do, it's for important stuff. And uh, you just got done with this uh, two-part series where we looked at um, what to expect from UCF's offense under Gus Malzahn. We split it up into the running game and the passing game. You can watch that or read it and watch it because it's in the film room uh, on blackandgoldbanneret.com. But I guess I'll start. You did such a great deep breakdown of what Gus Malzahn does and intends to do with his offense, uh, both on the ground and through the air. And 
I want to start by asking you this, it just for the basic fan, right? How is Gus's offense going to be different than what we've seen from the last three years under Josh Heupel? Um, in easy terms, I think Heupel's offense was more north and south, where if you kind of remember like Scott Frost for say it was more east and west, kind of getting the speed guys and using the athletes in space, kind of going east and west, running outside the tackles and that where Heupel's offense, you know, the run up the middle is a big thing that people like to say about Heupel. Oh, another first and 10 run up the middle or whatever. Um, I think if you look at Gus's offense, it's going to be a little bit more like Frost, a lot more east and west, a lot more sweeps, zone reads, getting the quarterback involved in the run game and stuff like that. A lot more motion and, and kind of the fun window dressing stuff that we kind of fell in love with Scott Frost from compared to the just straight downfield one-on-one attack and power run game of Heupel's. You said in your piece on the running game in the first half of it that uh, the, the, the run is really Gus's bread and butter. And, you know, like you just said, you know, it, it is East-West, but there's a lot of misdirection. There's a lot of motion. He, he runs like three, four, five different things off of one basic look. And that has potential to really screw up a defense in the course of, you know, not just one possession, but one game. So you're, so my, my read on this is you're expecting next year us to see a lot more, uh, a, a lot more offense in terms of in the run game than the pass game, no? Um, if you look at his splits, it, his heavy, uh, heavy, he was heavy on the early down run game in like 2014, 2015, 2016. And then, but they had a pretty dominant Russian quarterback in Nick Marshall. I don't know if you guys all remember him and Jeremy Johnson as well, yeah. who's another heavy dual threat guy, but more of a power runner, kind of like a Cam Newton that Malzahn, I think, was the OC for. So we kind of blended that all in. But then they kind of got towards Nick White, Jared Stidham, and Bo Nix now. And they've gone pretty close to 50-50 the last couple of years on just the early down run game. So I expect there to probably be a little bit more early down runs than we're used to seeing under Heupel, kind of where you're kind of seeing a lot of deep shots. But I don't think it's going to be more of a just he's going to try and establish the run for say. I think it's more of he's going to feel what is working and he's going to go with it uh, with Gabriel and kind of the dynamic receivers. You might be more inclined to throw the ball early. Obviously, UCF's got great running backs as well. But if you look at Auburn this year, Bo Nix was obviously extremely highly recruited player and a pretty good quarterback in himself. But they didn't exactly have the skill guys on the outside other than Seth Williams to kind of just dominate one-on-one and dominate through the air against SEC defenses where they got a, a rookie, a freshman running back in Tanks Bigsby who was kind of their bread and butter on offense. So leaning more towards the wrong game there. So I think he's more of a, going to be more of a field guy. What, what's working is working and balance. I wouldn't say is exactly 50, 50. He's going to probably try and go with, He's going to get comfortable with what's working and be able to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it rather than just go straight run past 50, 50. He's going to be able to want to do what he wants to do when he can do it. Right. Let me ask you about Dylan Gabriel. Cause I think that's, that's the one question that UCF fans are going to, are, are going to kind of gravitate toward is what, what is Dylan's 
future going to look like under Gus's offense? I mean, this is not, this is different than the air raid. Uh, it's, it's different than four verts with a bunch of option routes and just flinging the ball downfield. There's a, and you, you posted the graphic that P, uh, that, uh, Seth from pro football focus put up, uh, where you see a lot more uh, in, in Malzahn's offense as compared to, uh, uh, Josh Heupel's offense, there's a lot more attacking the middle of the field. So what is this going to mean for Dylan Gabriel going forward? In my opinion, I think this is going to be great for Gabriel. Um, he's not going to put up the numbers he put up under Heupel, and the entire offense isn't going to put up the numbers that they put up under Heupel in terms of volume stats, but I think fans need to realize that that's not necessarily like a bad thing. Just because you don't score 45 points a game or and put up 600 yards doesn't mean the offense isn't as good. Um, I don't think a lot of people understand that for say, and kind of, if you look at what Heupel tries to preach as his MO when he went to Tennessee is, Oh, first in the country in points per game, or I don't know if it was first, but he blasts those numbers where I don't think that's the measurement you should really have for an offense. So I don't think Gabriel's going to necessarily put up the numbers that he put up, but He's going to grow so much as a quarterback, in my opinion. Um, if you look at what Auburn did a lot of under, but with Bo Nix just the last couple of years, and you look how much he uses his feet and kind of gets outside the pocket, gets to improvise, kind of a little bit like you saw you see with Milton when he was under Frost, and even a little bit under Hypo because Hypo kind of tried to incorporate both a little bit of Frost stuff in there to kind of blend in his first year, mm. which I think is just great for a quarterback. And if you look at Pro football focus, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I know when they show uh, quarterbacks getting outside the pocket, Gabriel's always up there, but he was just so limited in doing so. Everything was just a snap, a one-step one drop, and just two-and-a-half to three-second release, and he's, he's off. He didn't really necessarily get to play with his feet, get outside the pocket, and kind of extend plays. Where if you look back at his high school highlights, which – Obviously, they're highlights of his high school, so they're all good plays. But you see a lot of him running around and kind of just having fun with him. And I think it's going to open him up to be a lot more aggressive and just kind of have a little bit more fun with the game and maybe not worry as much about making a mistake. And I also think getting under uh, – probably they do run uh, – Malzahn did run a little bit under center stuff, which I think is a good thing just for any quarterback. They'll use a little bit of pistol, which is great. But just getting quarterbacks into three-step drops again and – UCF literally ran a one-step drop on probably 99.9% of plays. So getting him in design rollouts, design QB boots, three-step drops, and just letting him play, I think it's going to be huge. Yeah. And also, right. there's going to be a lot more reading coverages post-snap and pre-snap and kind of going through progressions, which I don't think you really see in Heibel's offense. So overall, I think it's a huge – for him in terms of growing as a quarterback, but I think it's going to be fun for us fans to kind of get to watch him play freely. Yeah. And really let him and really see, you know, a lot more diversity in his game too. Exactly. We know how, how accurate and strong armed he is as a passer, but I, I think you're right. If that, if that's how you see it playing out, that could, this could make for a really interesting season for him. Let me ask you about Gus's offense in terms of pace, because that's one thing that, is has kind of been Josh Heupel's calling card. And, and it's funny, you know, I, like I'm actually reading Gus Malzahn's book right now that he wrote when he was a high school coach uh, on the hurry up, no huddle offense. And 
you know, it reads very much like the, um, the playbook for Josh Heupel in terms of running a lot of plays, um, you know, running plays quickly, getting, you know, lengthening the game. He does talk about that and, 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 and keeping the pace up. Um, but he didn't quite do that as much at Auburn, you know, a couple of times we'd see them go into tempo, but, um, but you know, it was by design. They were, they weren't running nearly with the pace that, that UCF did under Josh Heupel. Do you expect to see things slow down for UCF on offense, or do you think that they'll still run at a quick pace? Um, I think they'll slow down a bit. I think it's almost impossible to do anything as fast as Heupel did unless you're running. I don't want to say basic of an offense, but it, it wasn't as in depth as I think Malzahn's offense is. And everything that UCF didn't necessarily try and counter post pre-snap defense, defensive looks where I think Malzahn's kind of a little bit more of a uh, chess match adjust to what they're doing, let them adjust to us and kind of going calls based off of what the defense looks preset. And I think just from a defensive standpoint, I like, from a UCF side, I think he's going to try and go a little bit slower to kind of benefit the defense. I know the fast, the defensive guys, I don't think exactly were happy with how fast UCF played. And I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It's not, it's going to hurt their numbers and fans obviously love how fast UCF played under Hypo, but they're still going to run no huddle. They're still going to run a spread. It's still going to be, they're still going to score points. It's just not going to be snapping the ball within with 30 seconds left on the flight clock. Yeah. Let me ask you about the the skill personnel that UCF has. Cause like you said, you had hinted to the fact that, you know, UCF skilled players right now are as good or maybe even better than, than Gus has had at Auburn over the past few years, um, just based on their sheer, uh, sheer athletic ability, speed, strength, and all that kind of stuff. Which players do you think are, bound to have really big breakout seasons this year in this new offense that maybe we hadn't quite seen as much of them in the past. Yeah. It's interesting because UCF loses so many guys this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I would have loved to seen Otis and Marlon in this offense because I think of how much they, how well those two did under frost and kind of how they were utilized. So to fit their skill set and use so differently um, compared to just kind of being a one trick, a one, like a one kind of with under hypo Marlin just stayed in the slot the entire time. And Otis kind of just as a running back without where you saw Marlin lining up as a running back under frost. Right? So it's going to be interesting um, because we don't know so that much about these guys that are coming back. Obviously, Jalen Robinson, you expect to have a huge year. Um, if you look at what Seth Williams did at Auburn, I kind of look at him to be to kind of be that role for UCF. Just that he's going to be the number one receiver. But I think how um, Malzahn's going to utilize the speed guys like O'Keefe, he's going to probably run 15 to 20 jet motions in a game, in my opinion. Like whether he gets the ball on all of them, it's going to be completely different. But to me, the one person that this really benefits is. Gabriel like he's just it's he's gonna grow so much and it's hard to look at from a different perspective because we don't know that much about UCF's other skill guys because mm. they quite frankly just haven't been gotten a lot of playing time other than O'Keefe and 
Robinson. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's a benefit for every single one of them, if I want to be honest. But they're not necessarily going to put up the stats that they would have under Hypo. But I think in terms of growing as a football player, I think it does benefit. Yeah, Just it's going to be interesting to see, too. Also, like some of the new guys are coming in, like uh, like the new wide receiver from Hawaii, uh, uh, Titus mm-hmm. Atimalala. Um, Mark Anthony Richards coming in yep. from Auburn. That that's gonna that's a all these guys are kind of wild cards now, aren't they? They are, and I mean they all have role like there's all open spots there. Uh, Bentavius Thompson obviously comes back. He's gonna get probably be running back number one, but we don't know. Uh, I mean they used a bunch of different running backs. They ran two running back looks at Auburn, so I think all these guys are they're wild cards, but I think they all have a spot that is open for them to get playing time if they earn it and can fill in roles right away. Yeah. What about, one of the things I think back to it was the growing pains that UCF had under Scott Frost in his first year in 2016. You could see that the offense was, it was, it was out of sync at times because of, you know, they were still learning. They were still learning the whole scheme. Um, there were, fewer moments like that in 2018 when they transitioned over from frost to hypo but you could see on occasion some things you know were were a little wonky at times do you feel that there could be some growing pains this year for UCF as they go through what looks to be a, a rather challenging schedule uh where you know at you know through this year we might not see the best of what Gus Malzahn's offense brings to the table. Like, is there a possibility that we might really see them hit the gas in 2022 once they've had a year under their belt? Yeah, I think you could say that. Um, I think any uh, first, any new offense you're going to come in and have to learn, I think there's always going to be growing pains no matter what. If you look back at the NFL this year and even college with the COVID kind of shortened preseason, all the teams with new coaches – uh, and new offensive schemes kind of struggled early. So it's going to take an, a, it's going to have an impact no matter what at any level, even in the NFL, you kind of saw it. So I think it's going to have a little bit of an impact, but for me, I think I'm always for UCF. I'd always be one to say to hire a up and coming coordinator kind of to, because of the kind of the ceiling for coaches at UCF. If you look at, just in recent frost came and left hypo came and left. It's kind of the ceiling. It's kind of what all UCF fans and the program knows that's going to happen unless somebody comes here and like truly doesn't want to leave, which is always a possibility. And you see it more and more now with Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette, Chadwell at coastal, they kind of stuck there fickle at Cincinnati. They, they could have all left and gone to smaller power five schools, but they wanted to stay. So there's always a chance that that happens. But with the late leave from Heupel and kind of everything that played out, to get in a coach with as much experience as Malzahn and kind of as much success as he had, I think it was a kind of a home run hire. It's easy to say that because of his resume, but I think when you look at everything that you have to – the short turnaround towards spring ball has got to start in a month maybe. So yeah, to learn the offense that quick and – that much of a turnaround I think having Gus at the helm is going to be great so we might see less of a, an effect of the the new offense compared to what we would have saw if they had a first-time head coach for say 
Last question for you. We, we've talked about the offense the whole time, but I want, I want you to kind of put your, 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 uh, your head into the defense's helmet right now, because like you had hinted at before, you know, it felt like the defense at times felt like they, um, they, they, they felt like sometimes they got hung out to dry by the offense on occasion um, over the last few years under Heupel. How different is the defense's approach now under Gus's offense? I think it'll help him out a lot. Uh, I don't really know schematically, schematically, however you say it, um, kind of what it's going to look like. Uh, the new D coordinators, obviously, it's his first time being a D coordinator, but the players so far, they seem to love them, which I think is building a culture, especially on the defensive end, is going to be huge. And just kind of having those guys playing together because they obviously have talent at those guys. And I know like Kalia Davis comes back this year, who I think is going to be a really good player. And they have a bunch of talent. Um, losing Richie Grant and a couple of his safeties is going to hurt, obviously. But I don't think they were a product – The defensive results was a product of the talent they had on the field last year is more kind of just outside, not outside reasons, but the offense and not getting much rest and kind of new guys playing every single, every single week. It seemed like they had new defensive starters. So I think it's going to help them tremendously, just kind of getting kind of a new start, uh, a new fit, a new scheme and a lot more rest. So I, I think the defense is going to surprise some people this year. All right. Anthony Lenahan, squints underscore 15 on Twitter. We appreciate your breakdowns as always, man. Great job on that. And you can check it out on Black and Gold Banneret. What to expect from UCF's offense under Gus Malzahn underneath part one, the running game and part two, the passing game. Anthony Lenahan breaking everything down for us uh, as he does when we have questions about uh, X's and O's uh, and advanced statistics. You're the man we rely on. Anthony, thank you so much for all the hard work. What a great job you did on both of those pieces. And uh, uh, stay in touch, and we'll be, t- we'll be hearing again from you soon. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Anthony for uh, joining us and giving us his insight, squints underscore 15 on Twitter. All right, so uh, we touched upon it a little bit, but uh, now Eric and Brian are back with me here. Um Gus Malzahn has now completed his coaching staff at UCF. It took him all of nine days to do it. Uh, Just a quick rundown of who is running the show. On offense, he's got co-offensive coordinators, G.J. Kinney and Tim Harris Jr. G.J. Kinney also coaches the quarterbacks. Tim Harris Jr. coaches the running backs. The O-line coaches Herb Hand. Daryl Wyatt returns to UCF. He ends up being the only holdover uh, from the uh, Josh Heupel uh, staff to stay at UCF coaching the wide receivers. Brian Blackman coaches the tight ends, and he's also the special teams coordinator. On the defensive side of the ball, Travis Williams is listed as the defensive coordinator with co-defensive coordinator David Gibbs. Gibbs also coaches the DBs. Addison Williams coaches the cornerbacks. Uh, and then he's got two other defensive assistants that have not actually been assigned positions yet. Kenny Martin and Kenny Ingram, uh, who one of them I, I am under the assumption will coach the defensive line and the other one will coach the linebackers. But uh, mm. but we'll have to I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what their actual position assignments are. Um, all right. So, Murph, I'll start with you. This Anthony touched upon this in the interview where the 
Hypo leaving so late in the cycle meant that, at least in his opinion, UCF really did have to move quickly with a coach who had a lot of experience and could set up a staff very quickly. And that's exactly what Gus Malzahn did. So um, your when you look at how the staff breaks down, how do you view what Gus is trying to do here? Well, Gus is bringing in a lot of people he knows, right? I mean, this is not like he's not going to go out and do a ton of uh, interviews with, with fresh eyes. He's going in here with, with, with a lot of guys whom he has worked with in the past and who's either he bringing from Auburn or reconnecting with from a previous time. Um, you know, I said, I think when uh, the day Gus was hired and we had our night shift that night and we were we asked near the end of the show, I think you asked all of us on the – on the call, what would be the most, uh, in, I think, the most interesting or intriguing? What do you what do you want to see most out of this coaching staff? What What are you looking forward to most as far as what kind of hire he makes? And I said it'd be quarterbacks coach because at that time there was still this rumble about like is Dylan Gabriel, you know, is he all good with Gus? Is he ready? Like obviously he is, guys. Like that was such a non-story. Uh, he's fine. Uh, and I, I just find it interesting that they bring in G.J. Kenny, uh, a, 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 a you know a quarterback that that UCF fans should know uh, because he played right at SMU. He played at SMU, correct? Tulsa. Uh, at Tulsa, in yeah. USA. And and then I, I just think it's interesting they bring in G.J. Uh, Kenny, who coached at the University of Hawaii last year. And I wonder how much at all, if at all, that connection. Uh, and bring him in to coach a Hawaiian quarterback uh, matters on how he got this job. Eric, what did you think? Well, Kenny, if I remember, was the quarterback when Gus was there at Tulsa. So mm-hmm. I, I think like, he was. I, I think like, he was a backup there at the time. But yes, he was there. I like him. I brought him up when I did my. Where is Mackenzie Milton possibly going? I mentioned him. Uh, and when I thought about Hawaii as a possibility for McKenzie and how he was running the Hawaii offense. And I think, look, Gus obviously is going with people he knows and, he, and, and connected. Um, right. I think that's a good fit for Dylan and the quarterbacks. Uh, we'll see. The thing that's impressive to me is he basically filled out this staff in, what, a week, eight, nine days? Like, <laughs> meanwhile, you like missed, – You missed the joke at the top of the show that fell flat, Eric. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, which one is that? Is that the Josh Heupel comparison or no? Go ahead, Jeff. You got nine days. You know, this is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. It's right. just as bad the second time. Yeah, I'm glad I missed it. I'm glad I was broadcasting while that happened. No, <laughs> I, what blows me away, it took Josh Heupel 20 days to find a defensive coordinator in Tennessee in comparison. Uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I think this staff is impressive across the top to bottom. The Wyatt story is kind of wild, isn't it? Like, we heard he would be out, and now he's back in. Like, what do you make of that one? That, that's kind of a – I have to believe, though, that the Whiteouts are happy about that. I would imagine so, uh, especially because there's a lot of young guys who, you know, have only – you know, you know, they were basically recruited by Daryl. And uh, so, yeah, I'm sure they're, they're glad to see him stick around. I, 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 I think we will talk to Daryl at some point this year, uh, <laughs> you know, either – either during spring ball or the fall season, like they don't, you know, there, there's certain coaches they put on the zoom and certain coaches they don't put on the zoom. And, and Daryl seems to be one in, in the former camp. So I, I would love to know. And I'm sure people will ask him like, what was this whole like two month period or month period? Like, cause it seemed like you were out 
and replaced, then you were brought back. How, how did all that go down? I'd love to know. And uh, and I'll just say as a as a as a quick uh, conclusion that I think Herb Hand being brought in as the offensive line coach with all the accolades he's racked up in his long career, uh, I'm interested to see how that works with that offensive line that we know is you know last year the, the trying to get that group to gel was so important. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be real. It's especially as they move from this you know air raid scheme over to over to like Anthony was talking about a, a scheme that's a lot more predicated on east-west running uh, mm-hmm. and getting to the edge of much more of a frost-type offense than it was a hypo-type offense. I'll tell you the one hire that I'm really, uh, that I was really intrigued by. It actually wasn't a coach. It was the, uh, it was the um, director of operations, S.J. Tui. If that name sounds familiar, if, if, if those of you who remember the movie The Blind Side, uh, his, the blind, he's the, He's the younger adopted brother of Michael Orr, the wow. Ole Miss uh, All-American. So, uh, you know, he was portrayed in a movie, and now he's UCF's director of operations. So uh, so welcome to UCF uh, SJ Tui. Welcome on board. So, uh, mm-hmm. so this will be fun. This will be fun. Now, now, now we look forward to spring football whenever that happens. What's that going to look like? Uh, how's the transition going to go for... Uh, all the players to the new offense and, and to the new defense. So defense uh, people, we're actually talking defense finally. After like the last <laughs> regime basically used it as a rumor, now they're going to be held accountable. It's a crazy it's, concept, and we're going to have a running game, a power run. Well, game. Uh, well, yeah. About that, real quick before we go, how about uh, how about Auburn uh, transfer Mark Anthony Richards announcing he's going to come to UCF? Um, uh, highly recruited, obviously went to Auburn. He's from Wellington, Florida, which is down by down in Palm Beach County. But uh, he comes back home, and uh, I would imagine Brian, this kid's going to get a bunch of opportunities this year, isn't he? Well, there is room for expansion, right? And it's right. not like anybody has a, has a job locked down here with Mentavious Thompson, obviously Demarius Good, Johnny Richardson, uh, Anthony Williams, the freshman, Archie Harvey, and now you've got. Uh, oh yeah, excuse me. Yeah, R.J. Harvey uh, and uh, and now Mark Anthony Richards. Uh, I, I, it's interesting to me that that this UCF backfield has a lot of size in it now. I mean, Mark Anthony really fits in with with Bentavious, uh and 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 Harvey's big two, and Anthony Williams is a big guy. And now Mark Anthony's six one two ten. I mean, uh, I, I, this is a this is this is a little different than what we've seen in the past four or five years with this. With this offense, so it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. Uh, people are very excited because he's a four-star recruit and he's a top 100. You know, when he came out of high school, he was a top 100 recruit uh, by rivals and by 24/7, a uh, top 15 player in the state of Florida, I believe. Um, and, and 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 that's great. Uh, I just, you know, I know that makes the fan base very happy. That that Gus is out here bringing in four-star guys. He's offering a lot of four-star guys for 22 and 23. Like, it's awesome. It's nice to see that they're casting a wide net. You know, again, like I like I ran about on the on the night shift. It doesn't mean that it works and it's going to play out. But <laughs> don't get me started on star systems. I know that the fan base enjoys it because at least it shows that you're trying to you're trying to you know cast you know cast your net to a certain caliber of player. I mean, if Enough people think highly of this player to put four stars on him and over three. 
then I guess the odds are, you know, there's more likely odds the guy will be, you know, more, you know, better or, you know, uh, you can tell I'm stumbling over my words and I'm trying to justify something I don't believe in. Uh, <laughs> I'm I just say I don't. That's it's, it's fine, too. I, I'm, at least trying, I'm at least trying to understand the fans who are very excited that, that Gus is doing this with uh, recruits that usually UCF doesn't normally touch. Right. No, it's, it's a great feeling, though. It feels good. Look at, look at Lopez. <laughs> look at Lopez. He's so excited about I'm this. I'm so excited. We got a coaching staff. We're going to recruit the state. We're going to recruit the South. I mean, we got, have, my hair's on fire right now. My hair's on to fire. Credit, to their credit, they have been recruiting Florida very hard, uh, and that's another thing that a lot, a lot of the a lot of the common threads with Gus's coaches, a lot of ties to Florida in uh, the state of Florida. And so, I don't think he was lying when he said they were going to recruit Florida like their hair's on fire because the early indications are they're doing that. Hmm. He's done an incredible job. I mean, the fa- I don't remember this fan base being as united as we are right now. Uh, like, I don't even remember that, whatever, that other guy that people were clamoring for. What's his name again? The clown, the, the, the kid, uh, <laughs> what's his stiff name in Oxford, whatever. Anyway, so oh, I've, been, wow. I've been really blown away wow. by the United of this family. I, it's really exciting. I think Gus has done a tremendous job of selling. Look, obviously they got to produce on the field. I get all that, but yes, I, I, yes, but I will say this. I think the one thing that he is doing and I think will do that Josh never did was connect with the fan base. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. is important in college athletics. And I think, look, and that's nothing against Josh. I don't want to pile on personality. You have to be who you are. No, of course but, not. But, but let's be honest. <laughs> Josh was paint dry. And in college athletics, that's a problem. Like it's, you bet, like it's one thing if you win all the time, that's great. But when you start dropping a game or two, you better relate to the fan base. And I think that's what got Josh in trouble with the fan base and lost probably a lot of support. I think Gus has that ability to talk to the fan base. So if something does go wrong, he's going to say, hey, this is what went wrong and this is how we're going to address it. And I think fans want that. That's all they want is to feel a a part of it and connecting with the coach because then they'll get behind him. And I think that's what's happening here with the staff. Maybe, but I don't want us to believe that we're going to get the Gus we saw at his opening presser every time after or before a game. Like, usually Gus, you know, a listing of a lot of national columnists who were really shocked at his opening presser about how, like, relatable and how funny and how quotable he was. Like, they're like, that's not usually Gus. So when things go bad, even when things go good, there could be a sense still that Gus is going to be kind of dry. Uh, so I, I – I, I, I don't really care about the personality outwardly. Well, well the he could be dry, but his dry might be like compared to Josh might be like soaking wet. I mean, so, <laughs> so we'll take it. Give me, give me something. Hey. Uh, in there. Uh, I'm looking well, forward to see to seeing the on-field results. That's what I want to see. That's well. I mean, it's it's, it's it's about player development, guy. It's right. about player that's right. Development. Player development's the name of the game. Yeah, so. and I think that's exciting. And I think, you know, look, I, I mean, you guys addressed the schedule last week. It's a tough, tricky schedule. Uh, Boise, Louisville the first month. I don't like how the setup with the Cincinnati, Memphis. But I actually like the fact that we UCF probably will be a little under the radar from that standpoint if people want to pick SMU. And I think that's a good thing for this team. And that being said, um, 
Don't be fooled. I mean, I guarantee you that Boise game will be prime time. I think UCF's going to be the highly profiled team in the league because of Gus's. People are interested to see how Gus does yeah, in the, wait, at UCF. Wait, wait, wait. You just said they'd be under the radar. Well, I think by as far as pe- the fan base picking them, you know, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know. The media, the media, you people like you, Brian, that vote for the American <laughs> football poll <laughs> will pick Darling Cincinnati and Darling SMU, and you'll, you know, that's that's fine. That'll be right. great. Go ahead, pick them out. Right. Your lo- uh, are you gonna eat lobster in Fort Worth, or how does that? What is that gonna? How's that gonna work? What what are we doing? He's lobster in Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see when we get there. Oh, if, we, if we get there, right? Yeah. You know, All right. Maybe, like, some, maybe some pulled pork. I mean, it's Texas. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to pull this this train back onto the tracks just in time for us to get to a break where we will talk with Eric Lopez about softball, who played uh, a, a top tw- an all-top 25 matchup against Mizzou tonight. Result wasn't what the Knights wanted, but uh, still lots to talk about with that. History over this past weekend with UCF softball as well, plus uh, baseball, soccer, oh, and baseball, plenty Murph. of other things oh, to talk we, about here. Murph, we, 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 the term hot stove, I don't think it has never been used like we're going to use it on this segment with you, Mike. <laughs> All right. Stick around. We'll be right. right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret. Dot com, where every Monday you can read our nightcap, uh, where we go over the weekend in UCF sports and all the news and notes from uh, all UCF sports all around. And uh, uh, we're going to lead this uh, this this segment with softball, Eric Lopez, because you just got back from UCF's uh, uh, game against Mizzou. Not the result the Knights wanted, but uh, still uh, a tight game against uh, against the Mizzou team that was also ranked in the top twenty-five, right? Yes, battle of top 25 matchups. Now, I know I got messages about the way it was Missouri ranked 19th, UCF not in the graphics. The people were tuning in. If that's an ESPN poll, and I guess we have to, I've been told that we have to use the ESPN poll and whatever. I ignored it. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, guys. All right. I tried. But yes, this is two top 25 teams. And I thought it was a high level game. It really was. I thought it was a well played game. You know, Missouri's really good. I, you know, these two teams are in the top. 15 in just about every sin- single offensive category. And I think you saw that early in the game. Missouri hit three homers off Bree Vasquez, uh, or a couple of them off Vasquez, the other one off Mancha in relief. You know, and, and they're dynamic, one to nine. Uh, but I thought UCF responded quickly in the third. And they didn't flinch. It wasn't like, oh, no, we're down 5 nothing and we're done, like maybe in years past. I think UCF's confident with their offense. They can make up any deficit you saw that in the third inning georgia blair just continues to amaze man what a hitter man she's a three run homer i think she's the best power hitter since stephanie best and i think she's the closest thing this program has had to stephanie best um and i'm i i you know one of the i mean many regrets of the year being cut short is we don't know how many home runs she would have hit last season but she's already reached her number from last year she hit six last year she's already at six this year so who knows where that's going to go. But it's not just her. Shannon Doherty's coming around. This, so it was two high-level teams. Give uh, Missouri credit. They scratched out the run in the fourth inning on the triple by Laird. She scores on the ground, belt, on the ground ball. 
And it was a high-level game. UCF had some chances at the end, but Missouri pulled the stop. So I thought it was a well-played game, a high-level game. I wouldn't be phased by it if I'm a UCF fan. I thought it was it was the top matchup of the night in the country in college softball, and I think it lived up to that. And uh, I think these are two teams that are going to be heard from this year and will be around the top 25 polls throughout the year and, and be a threat in postseason. Not to be outdone was the news from uh, over the weekend and the uh, three-game sweep of New Mexico State, Eric Lopez, where – Aaliyah White made uh, history on Sunday, becoming uh, UCF's all-time leader in wins, picking up her 81st career victory, passing Shelby Turnier for most wins by a UCF pitcher uh, over that weekend. What, aside from obviously, you know, can't really say much about you know what UCF did uh, against New Mexico State. The you know everything was clicking, offense, defense, and pitching, but. Um, what this, what that moment meant for Aaliyah and for Coach Bear and for UCF softball uh, to get it done in front of the home fans and um, and firmly etch her name in the UCF record books with one of the key marks uh, of any program. Yeah, I mean, you could argue the most pro- highest profile record in UCF, uh, not just softball, but one of the higher profile records in UCF athletics in general. Uh, I think Justin Pope holds the baseball record. He's like at 32, for example. Uh, you know, softball and pitcher. That's the, the, the UCF softball pitcher is a very high-profile position and in the, the in the athletic department alongside a goalkeeper in UCF's women's soccer and men's soccer, if you want to count them, uh, among other positions. And for her to kind of surpass some of the greats like Shelby Turtier and Mackenzie Otis and Allison Kime in the record books, it's a big achievement. It was a kind of a surprise because I wasn't expecting her to get the ball on Sunday. I thought they might go with Vasquez on Sunday, but you know, Coach Bear said at, after the game uh, after the game on Sunday, she just kind of had a feeling with the Mexico State the way they were they're capable of hitting the ball. She just wanted Aaliyah to start that game and see where it goes and uh, it, where it went. It was history, and uh, it was a great moment. Uh, happy for her. For those that don't know her story, she wears number twenty-seven. She was a premature birth. Uh, she was born way too early. She was born as a uh, one pound. And you could and you could probably explain this better, Jeff, as a father, uh, what this all means. I mean, she was on a, they, they gave her oxygen for tw- she was on oxygen for 27 days. There was there was no guarantees that she would make it. And uh, she did that. And she's overcame that. And she's overcome a lot of things, in, you know, as far as getting to where she is now at softball. So I'm happy for her as a person uh, and what she's overcome and just a great kid and a great family that. Uh, they're so positive and so supportive and uh, really great kids. So I was super happy for her. And I know that Shelby is as well. Shelby told her last year, go ahead and break the record. Mackenzie's told her. And that's part of that fraternity and the UCF softball there. They all kind of support each other. So it was an awesome moment to be a part of. I was glad that it worked out and I got to call it. And I was glad that it was able to do it at home. And I was glad that her parents were there to see it because there was no guarantee of that either. So uh, it was a pretty special day that I won't forget anytime soon. That's awesome. That's really awesome. All right, so let's look ahead at what they have coming up this week. Uh, they got a doubleheader Friday against McNeese State, followed by the uh, followed by the uh, third game of the series on Saturday, and then they play UNF at home uh, next Wednesday. But tell us about McNeese because it's easy to just dismiss them as a non-power school, but uh, but they uh, they come in actually pretty strong, don't they? Yeah, they're one of the favorites in the Southland. They always win the Southland. James Landrino is their head coach. They have, they re, their record is misleading. They have played a brutal schedule. They play LSU on the road. They play Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette on the road. They play a bunch of teams on the road. 
But they're a team that's always in the mix in the NCAA tournament. They're that team that you see as a three seed. They're usually in LSU or Lafayette or in Texas. And you just don't want to see them there. They can hit. They have Their, their greatest alum is uh, Erica Piscatelli, who's going to be on the Italian national team this Olympic year. So she just graduated. But she's like their greatest player of all time. But they got some talent there. And it's going to be a challenge for UCF. They got to get past this now Missouri game, which was very much hyped now and have a quick turnaround with a double header on Friday against McNeese who can hit. And that's the thing that's been interesting about coach ball Malone's schedule is she scheduled all these light teams that can hit uh, New Mexico state was a top 50 offense. Missouri's a top 10 offense right now. McNeese can hit. So it'll be a challenge for this pitching staff. It'll be interesting to see how Brianna Vasquez bounces back after uh, the struggles against Missouri. Uh, see G Mancha continue there. Her role is kind of a starter and a reliever. And then Ali obviously is the ace, and we'll see if some of the young pitchers uh, get some uh, some time there. But McNeese is a tough team, so it'll be interesting to see how this team bounces back from that Missouri game against a very scrappy, tough uh, McNeese team. All right, so doubleheader Friday four and six, uh, and then the third game Saturday at one at the at the complex, uh, followed by UNF on Wednesday uh, at six. So that's what's coming up for UCF softball as they. Uh, continue this homestand. They've got seven more home games before they go out on the road to play at FAU uh, mid-March. All right, let's uh, flip to the other diamond, baseball. Rough <laughs> opening weekend for uh, for UCF baseball um, as they uh, they lose two out of three to FAU. Uh, they split the games down in Boca, lost the opener on Friday uh, at home. A lot of runs scored in this uh, in the series. Uh, and then oh, Tuesday, you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> run scores. He says. Oh, and then, really? uh, and then a Tuesday uh, fell uh, to Stetson at home by a score of seven to nothing. So rough start for UCF baseball, who, by the way, is playing without Greg Lovelady because he announced that he had tested positive for COVID nineteen. So he is he is isolating. He can't coach yet. Um, but this is not Brian Murphy, the start that they wanted to have wait, before wait, they no, had. Wait, we got to do this justice here because my inbox has is, is, is been blown up the last couple of days. Okay. okay. So I want to just use quotes here from Murph because for whatever reason, people are asking me, hey, what is the pro- what is the issue? And I'm like, I'm not the baseball guy, guys. I'm the softball guy. <laughs> They're like, well, who's, who's the baseball guy? Oh, it's Brian. And some of them are like, are you, you know, get some in. So here's some of the ants questions. Hey, aren't you Brian? <laughs> right. Well, my favorite was I, I was like in an Uber and somebody's like, uh, they didn't know who I was. They're like, you guys have a softball program? But then they asked me, what's wrong with the baseball team? I'm like, do you not know who I like? What? So my ego took a hit on that. Are, are, wait, are, but, did you really try to pull the do you know who I am card on an Uber? Yeah, we're like, I'm at a softball <laughs> complex. Why do you think I'm there? Like, you don't know, anyway. Don't you but, know what softball was? <laughs> I, apparently not. Not to that one. Uh, but, Murph, I did get some questions from people that were in the stands. I've got people that were watching yesterday, this week. So here's some of the questions that I've gotten, uh, which, you know, it's a little uh, – well, some of it's graphic, but we'll, we'll, we'll play. We'll clean it up. It's graphic. Yeah. Uh, I know this one's a shocker to you. Unger to Unger, what the blank is going on with this baseball team? I don't get it. Uh we have another one here. See, Giggle, what the blank is going on? Can you tell Brian what is going on with this baseball team? Another one says, is Randy Shannon now running the pitching staff at UCF baseball? Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to give up touchdowns every week? I mean, Mark, I could go on and on. Please, Brian, 
People are flipping out. Is it too early to panic, or is there cause for concern? No, it's too early to panic, guys. And everybody hates that answer, right? Everybody hates that answer because you want to panic. You want to <laughs> sit it back after four games. You know, we're getting close to 10% of the schedule and go, oh, my God, what's wrong? But if you had a bad weekend, and they had a bad weekend, guys, like, boy, howdy. It was bad. It started off bad. It was bad defense. That cascaded into bad pitching. Uh, then they go down to Boca at FAU. And, and, and the first game on Saturday, unspeakable unspeakable i mean if anybody's watched lb network this this week you've seen caleb pendleton you've seen if you if you watch espn you know who caleb pendleton is yeah because it keeps on the highlights he did a caleb stephanie pendleton. best yes correct <laughs> yes that's true otherwise known as a fernando tatis but the fau catcher did a fernando tatis grand slam grand slam in the same inning and his first two collegiate at bats it's all downhill uh, from here <laughs> it is. It is all downhill from there. So that was awful. By the way, that game was 20 to 15 on Saturday. I mean, talk about unwatchable. UCF salvages a game on Sunday thanks to one of the ugliest innings of all time in which they get six runs on one hit. It was a home run. But before, but then after that, the next eight guys reached base and none of them got a hit. And then, yes, it didn't go well against Stetson. I thought UCF's approach was rushed. They were facing a, a, a pitcher in Setson who had, I think, had, had one career start of more than five innings, and he went six uh, or five and two thirds. Uh, and it was just, it, was, it seemed like they were trying so so hard. They wanted to make contact and do good things. They really weren't taking pitches. Um, and it wasn't a great start by Zach Hunsaker. That all said, it's four games. I, I understand it doesn't look good. But I'm not going to all of a sudden castigate these pitchers who I believe, and certainly Greg Lovelady believes, are really good. I think Colton Gordon is really good. Hunter Pattinson's really good. After a couple of bad, one bad start, I'm not going to I'm not going to bail on them and say, well, all of this is lost. Um, you know, we've seen that their offense can do some things. You know, scored 15 FAU's, runs back to back games. They ended up with a split. I mean, really, the FAU series kind of you know losing two out of three to FAU overshadows it, but like. You know, they scored 36 runs. Unfortunately, they gave up 38. Um, the, the, the problem, it's not a problem. The issue now is that the panic is going to probably heighten after this weekend. <laughs> oh, no. Because, panic on the part of the fan base, you mean? Yes, not, not on my part, because... Because again, it's so early. Like it's just we're not we're not doing this, guys. I'm talking to the fan base. We're not, it's not like we're gonna play a team tough better than FAU, are we, Mur? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, bit. it's only number one Ole Miss. <laughs> yes. So look, I just want to say before I get into Ole Miss, we're not gonna do this after four games. We're not gonna freak out after four games and one and three. I get and the panic button now, Jeff. I mean, we it's Jeffrey just, has it handy. Jeff no, has it handy. No, 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 no. no. It's, uh, Brian is giving me the Jerry Maguire speech as he walks out of the office. You know, I'm not gonna do right, what yeah. you all think I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this this may not be a good weekend for UCF because, yeah, they're going to go to Oxford and face number one, Ole Miss, a team that has already got three wins over top ten teams in their first four games this season. They were down in Texas last weekend, and uh, the highlight, they beat TCU, Texas Tech, and Texas. Uh, Texas Tech is number three in the country. Then they absolutely crushed Arkansas State 12-1 on Wednesday night, so they're sitting pretty, waiting for the Knights, uh, and – UCF is going to have just their hands full. 
the the guy the guys to watch in this series. First of all, the shortstop Jacob Gonzalez for Ole Miss is a total stud. As a freshman, true freshman shortstop, he's amazing. But as far as it'll be draft and who could we see, you know, in the show quickly, uh, Gunnar Hoglund is probably a first round pick right now. Maybe the third or fourth best college pitcher in the nation. You've got the Vanderbilt kids, Kumar Rocker and, and Jack Leiter. You can, and then you can make some arguments about who's in front of him. But Gunnar Hoglund, the Friday night starter for Ole Miss, is going to be a very high draft pick this coming season. Um, he was very good at the start of the season. He's very good uh, in his first outing of the year. Uh, Derek Diamond is a sophomore uh, who pitched well on Sunday. There's a lot of good arms being thrown at UCF this weekend. Uh, a lot of good bats. Obviously, it's number one in the nation. I, but we talked to Greg Lovelady about this, guys. And even in his answer, he said that even if we don't go out there and win those games, it is an opportunity to use it as a barometer for what they need to do to get better, to get, you know, to beat those type of teams later on, you know, because if you, if, if this team gets to where they want to get to, you know, being in the upper echelon, the AAC, making a regional, advancing out of a regional, you know, for the first time in a long time, you need to beat these type of teams or, or at least this kind of class of team. Um, so, it, you know, maybe, maybe they lose two out of three or whatever. Maybe they get swept. I don't know. But you want to see that you can compete against these teams because if you if you if they get their doors blown off this weekend, then I'll ta- then we'll talk about like that's weird like two weekends in a row where the pitching doesn't show up and they get shut up by these by these high level pitchers. Now we've got issues. Like I would say now we got issues. But if they're competitive losses. Like nah, I would I would be fine with that. Okay. But there will be there will be losses. So what you're saying is don't panic. Even if it looks, even if it looks bad, it's it's not it's not as bad as you think. Let's just everybody calm down, right? They would need they would need to lose like twelve to one on Friday, and then like follow that up with like thirteen nothing on Saturday. If that happens, and like there's like a point zero zero one percent chance that it will, then I'll then we'll talk about like wow, this is this is this isn't good because like yeah, it's losses, but you're also now being embarrassed in back to back weekends, and even though Ole Miss is great. I, I, I honestly don't think they're the best team in college baseball. Uh, and, you know, they're very, very good, but they're not the best team. Yeah. Uh, if you're being embarrassed like that on any weekend, that, that signals alarm, especially when it's your second weekend. You've had a weekend to really kind of fix. Uh, you know, I've had a week to really fix what was ailing, if anything, Hunter Patterson. I mean, I would be shocked if Hunter Patterson goes up there and, and has another total dud like he did in Boca. Um, he's way too talented for that. Um. Love Lady's going to be back, right? Yeah, so we talked to intern or acting head coach Ted Tom after the game against Stetson on Tuesday. He did say the plan is to fly up to Memphis, and then they will bus over to Oxford. Uh, Love Lady will be in the dugout. for The plan, at least, is for Love Lady to be in the dugout for Friday's series opener against Ole Miss. So it does sound like, Greg, uh, we'll be back for the entire series. Did, did, did we get any indication of like, you know, I mean, you, you know, how sick was he or any of that kind of thing? No, uh, uh, I said totally fi- physically fine. Physically seemed like he was fine. Uh, we did ask Ted Tom that a couple of times. Uh, didn't seem like he had any major symptoms. Uh, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll ask lovely more about his direct, you know, directly about his experience uh, with the virus when we get a chance to talk to him. But according to Ted Tom, everything seems fine physically. 
He did say, I think, on Friday night, uh, the first game of the season against against FAU, they, and they lost. He said Greg isn't feeling as well now as he would le- would have liked to have been at the start of the game. Basically saying like he's fine, but now he feels like he's up. He's got like an upset stomach because they just lost their opening <laughs> game to FAU. So, All right. When well, you can joke about when you can joke about your when you're you know your head coach being on the COVID list and how he feels when you can joke about that, I, 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 it's a good indication that he's okay. <laughs> Well, either way, we're we're hope we're we're glad that uh, Greg seems uh, yeah. at least okay enough. Yeah. Obviously, if he's okay enough to join the rejoin the team, we're glad well, that he and his family are doing well. So, and it'll be good to Brian, see him back in the dugout for the first time this year. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I do have a question. Somebody has asked me this question, so that's why I'm going to ask you this. Yes. The combination you you lose your coach in Love Lady, and I know that hey, look, players decide the games and this, but we got to remember these are college kids, 18 to 22. These are not big leaguers. That can, you know, hey, if the manager's not there, so be it. Do you think that, you know, threw off some of the players? And then some people have brought up there was some bad weather. Like, do you think there's just some of those things? It's just one, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and it kind of just kind of was a snowball. How much do you play into that, uh, that kind of thought process that, you know what, there, maybe that kind of threw everybody off a little bit? Uh, just It's just one of those things. I don't buy into that. Uh, the bad weather, like yeah, the Friday night game, like got delayed, like it, it got off to a late start, and then there was some rain off and on during the game, but it wasn't like a deluge. Uh, it was like a sprinkle. I'm not sure what happened, by the way. Quick aside, baseball game was playing for like an hour while softball was still in rain delay. Oh my yeah. god, dude, that was so. B- <laughs> that was weird. I, I mean, I was keeping track of it on Twitter, and I was telling everybody, "Hey, the baseball game's gone." Meanwhile, we're I was following you, Eric, and we were like, you know, because because uh, ESPN Plus was in uh, was in rain delay mode, and right. and okay. uh, and I was like, "Well, what's going on here? <laughs> Why aren't we playing softball too?" Well, so this is what happened from from what I can gather, because I was obviously in the booth for this. We started the game; we were fine. It was soft rain, but it was fine, misty rain, no big deal. We played on that. And I think we played up until right around when baseball was about to start. And then the, this heavy pour came in and they kind of shut it down. Now, if anybody's been to the complex, part of the problem, and now it, we're, you know, I don't know if you, anybody's aware, we're still in a pandemic, right, Murph? We're still in a pandemic? This is correct. Yep. Okay. Still happening. Well, that's, so that's kind of a problem because our softball complex, for those that don't know, doesn't have a visiting locker room. So, the visiting team doesn't really have anywhere to go. They used to be in the pre-pandemic days. They would just hang out in the batting cage. Well, you can't do that right now. <laughs> so they had to leave. They had to go in their buses and leave because this and, – and I guess they were looking at the mod, uh, and the way that weather radar – I'll defer to you on this, Jeff. They were looking at these cells, and they just decided, let's just wait till this cell kind of clears, and then we'll just be clear for the rest of the night. So they decided to wait it out while baseball said, "Yeah, we're just going to play." <laughs> well, well, well. Okay, this is interesting. Now, did they just go on the bus and go back to the hotel? I believe yes. Or wow, I'm, I'm surprised that they uh, wouldn't just, you know, if they're all together as a team, just go back into the bus and just hang out there. Uh, they may have done that briefly, but from what I understand, they left the premise. So they, <laughs> they, why can't, uh, why can't they just sit in the dugout. I mean, I know it's boring, yeah, but still. Stay in the dark. Uh, I don't know. I'm just a guy with a microphone. Probably, I, I, don't, you know. <laughs> I would. I would guess that you know it's not like in the majors where you know if something you know if there's like a lightning strike, you can run into the clubhouse real quick, right? I mean, well, you, the other problem, the other problem. Actually, I do have an answer for that. The problem was when the rain was coming down. There was also wind, and it was swirling 
to the point where you, you're getting smoked, you know, you're getting hit if you're in the dugout. Like, both teams were not in the dugout. UCF went to the batting cage, and New Mexico State went back. Here's the moral of the story. Uh, we need a renovations of the softball complex. That's what we need. We're outdated, and I think we have proven that. So, Terry, if you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> and even if you're not, you better just subscribe. It's a cool place. We're invited to come on. One of the upper uh, jobs you need to do, upgrade the softball facilities and – also give us a new scoreboard uh, because, well, our scoreboard, um, well, it's not functioning correctly. Uh, well, it's not basis. show the score consistently. Baseball would, also, baseball would also like a new scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, we need, yeah, we need to get so, fixed those scoreboards spot right away. Um, yeah, I, but back to the question that was posed about 10 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it had a big deal with Lovely not being there. Ted Tom really credited the first loss of the year to the guys just being overexcited. And the guy, I think, kind of saw that with some silly errors. Uh, and just being too amped and not focused, and um, yeah, and then and then part of it is just like, yo, baseball is weird, and sometimes when you hit the ball, they hit it where they ain't, and FAU did a lot of that, and, and they made a lot of hard contact. It wasn't like soft stuff, but sometimes you just run into run into a bad weekend where a team just can't miss. Yeah. Nice, nice uh, pickup on the Wee Willie Keeler reference there, Murph. I I appreciate that. So what you're saying is, so what you're saying is, we will welcome Sienna back next year to be in our series opener at the old, like normal. Or or Monmouth or Monmouth. Let's yeah, not let's let's not let's not forget the Deer Hawks of Monmouth. All right. Uh, so that's the story with baseball Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Ole Miss. That series, by the way, is going to be televised on e- SEC Network Plus. Which, if I'm Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you get that on ESPN Plus? Uh, yes. I'll defer to Murph on that. Okay. Let Murph. check. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so we'll have that at least as part of it. We'll be able to watch that, so that's good. Uh, also, um, real quick, volleyball obviously had the weekend off after they swept Temple last weekend. Um, they were supposed to play Miami Friday and Sunday, but that uh, non-conference back-to-back uh, got wiped. But Todd Dagenet did add Florida State to the schedule. So the Knights are making a bus trip up to Tallahassee to play the – Seminoles on Friday at noon. Friday at noon, uh, UCF against Florida State. Of course, the last time these two met was in the first round of the NCAA tournament back in the fall of 2019, and UCF got the victory over Florida State for their first uh, NCAA tournament win since 2003. So uh, 16 years in between that, so now UCF gets a shot at an ACC opponent Um it, despite the fact that the uh, back-to-back at Miami was going to be a home-and-home home against Miami, uh, got wiped off the schedule. And then after that, it's back to American Athletic Conference play with uh, two games or two matches coming up against ECU Friday and Saturday, March 5th and 6th. Uh, and those will be on ESPN Plus as well. Uh, all right. Eric Lopez, let's talk a little bit about soccer. Women's team is uh, 2-0. and uh, They beat Cincinnati on Sunday Dramatic, dramatic moment for UCF. Uh, Ellie Moreno, 85th minute, got the game winner for UCF against uh, the Bearcats to move UCF to uh, 2-0 on the season. Uh, and we talked about how this schedule, it, it, it's going to happen real quick. And just like that, UCF is one quarter of the way through the season with two victories under their belt. 3-0 over Temple on Valentine's Day, 1-0 over Cincinnati. Next two are on the road, including... Sunday at Tulsa 
at 12:30. But uh, that was a that was a big victory for UCF that they needed over Cincinnati, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of a weird game, defensive style, slow, and it, you didn't yeah. know if it, it just UCF felt like really it was outshot them too. I think that shot shot them what seven to one yeah. in the first half. Right, but it seemed like it was destined to be a draw, and then you know Moreno gets the goal where the goalkeeper can't handle the ball. So look, it's a good win. I think the big takeaway, and I know it's just two matches. Defensively, they're very sound. And remember that was Tiff's concern with the back line being very young. But Delisle, obviously, with two shutouts or clean sheets, as we like to call it in mm-hmm. soccer, yep. no uh, goals sure, allowed. Sure, First two games, not too bad. Make sure, that's right. Make sure you know your terminology, Murph, under soccer. <laughs> it's not a shutout; it's a clean sheet. Um, so that's a positive. That's a very big positive for them. It'll be interesting to see if they carry that over. Uh, I was very pleased defensively. Now offensively, finding ways to get some goals I think would be good. But, yeah, 2-0, look, man, you just need results. Get the, Put the result on the board. As you mentioned, this is a sprint. This is a, a truncated type of a season. So you can't fall – you know, a one or two losses is magnified. So you take the wins where you can get them. Yeah. Uh, now – Men's soccer on the other side, uh, they uh, lost to South Florida at home two to one. They fell down two nothing, got one back late on an own goal, but uh, couldn't complete the comeback. And so right now, men's soccer is sitting at one and two overall uh, as they head out to Oklahoma to face Tulsa on Saturday at eight. Um, they're off to. This is not the we thought we talked about baseball start. This is not the start that that soccer was looking forward to the men's soccer team at least. Um, so what do they have to do to get back on track, Eric? They they, they got some you know we're not going to panic, but there's concern. And I think the the South Florida match again they get off to a slow start. Got out played the first fifteen twenty minutes of the match, fall behind early, and you know after that they were fine. They had they had twenty shots. It was a high up tempo game as you would expect. Um, you know, the South Florida goalkeeper was kind of a, you know, was tremendous for them. Uh, he was the star of the game. And I think he made 12 saves, which is the most that any goalkeeper has had in the UCF softball complex. I mean, not softball. <laughs> what stadium am I in? It's UCF soccer and track stadium. History. Uh, yeah. He, he was fantastic. And yet, my concern, and, it, and I don't know if this gets fixed in the spring, and that is, who is going to replace the Cal Jennings production. And I think what we're seeing is in, in soccer, it's one thing you got playmakers and all that, but putting the ball behind the net. And I think right now we don't know who that is. And I don't know if there is enough time in the spring to find that answer. We may not know the answer till the fall. It might be a too big of an ask to re- find a replacement for the Cal Jennings productions and the appreciation. And it's not just affecting you how to put the ball in the net. It was the attention that Cal brought from the opponents Mm -hmm. because the opponents would put two, three guys on them. So that would free up guys like Vivi and other guys to get their opportunities. Well, right now the defenses are playing them all straight up because they're like, we're not afraid of these guys. And I think UCF right now, it's just like the confidence, like who's the guy that could step up and make those, you know, be that confidence builder to get the ball in the back of the net. I mean, they're getting opportunities. They're just not finishing plays. And that's the gift of Cal. Cal is one of the great finishers this program's ever produced. And it's it might be a, a lot to ask to replace him in a short spring season. And remember, they lose Louis Perez, who signs a pro deal last week. So uh, it's tough. Two losses at home after not losing a regular season home game in con- since 2018. It's concerning because, remember, you still got a home-and-home with SMU 
And the concerning thing is SMU put seven goals on the same South Florida team. Oof. Yeah. Well, first order of business is at Tulsa, who UCF lost to in the opener yeah. one to nothing in a game that uh, Scott Calabrese felt um, that UCF, it should have been winnable for UCF if they had started off properly. But they'll get another opportunity to uh, play them, even though it's at it, it's in Oklahoma. That's 8 o'clock on Saturday. So a uh, chance to get back to 500, even up yourself uh, on the year with Tulsa, and then you get Memphis next Saturday at home. That's the next home game for UCF men's soccer, 6 o'clock on March the 6th. Uh, quick updates on tennis. Men's tennis is 3-2. and two. Uh, They knocked off uh, North Florida in Jacksonville, 7 to nothing. Uh, they play Friday against FGCU at the USTA National uh, Campus. Next three matches, in fact, are at home. Friday against Florida Gulf Coast, Sunday against Stetson, Tuesday against South Alabama, uh, 1 p.m., noon, and 11 a.m., respectively, at the USTA National Campus. And that that group is starting to heat up real quick now. There's uh, three guarantees in tennis right now in, the spring, in, in, in January, February. Novak Djokovic wins the Australian Open every time he's in the final. Naomi Osaka wins the women's final every time she's in the quarters or further. And Gabriel DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand together beat ranked teams. That's yeah. what they do. They have beaten already three doubles teams uh, this year. And DeCamps beat the number four ranked player in the world in, the, in college tennis from Texas A&M last week. Won the conference uh, award for the week. He was more important. More week, important. Yeah. He was our honorable mention, which is a bigger prize than that on the black and gold banneret. Would have won the <laughs> night of the week if it wasn't for Aaliyah. But he, he is tremendous, uh, Jeffrey. I think he has a chance to be the greatest men's, men's tennis player in UCF tennis history. Well, he's off to a great start when you keep doing yeah. that. I mean, he started knocking off guys who are in the top five nationally uh, re- regularly. That's going to be uh, – that's definitely going to be the uh, the key for them. So, uh, on the other side, uh, the uh, women's – uh, tennis team. They are six and two right now. Uh, they beat. Uh, uh, they're still. Uh, their last match was against Miami, but that was on Saturday the thirteenth. Uh, that four nothing sweep. So they've had a good break here before they play uh, Thursday tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday night. They play Thursday at TCU. This is that lone road trip that they make. Um, that uh, where they where they head out to uh, Texas. They're in Fort Worth for TCU, and then. Texas Austin, who's number two in the country on Saturday. That's a huge the defending match. national champions. Yeah. Defending national champions. Kind of disappointing. This ain't on the Longhorn Network. You know, we got to carry, you know, probably the 100,000th time, the Rose Bowl 2006 <laughs> Vince Young, because nobody's seen that before. Uh, but that's going to be a huge test. It's we got to hear Matthew throwing McConaughey. Shade at the, we got to throw Matthew Longhorn McConaughey. Network. All right, all right. Number two, Texas, 1 p.m. Uh, on Saturday at the uh, Texas That's Tennis huge, Center in Austin. Huge, huge, huge match. match. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about the team. That is a that could be. We're going to you know you've asked about national title aspirations. We're going to learn about where they are stacked and where they rank up with Texas. That's going to be huge. Yeah. Now, now that that match is televised, by the way, online at the at the uh, via the University of Texas at Texas Sports. Are they sure they're not going to air you know Vince Young classics? No, this, they is, always do? this is not this would not be on the Longhorn Network, Eric. This right. is going to be. Uh, and then the TCU match on uh, Thursday at one that will also be streamed uh, on a play site. Dot com. So uh, there wow. are links up there. What's your at- favorite Matthew McConaughey movie, Murph? Um, Dallas Buyers Club. Pretty good. All right, there you go. I mean, yeah, I'm in on on Dallas Buyers Club. 
I mean, mud, uh, he was in Mud. was really good there. Uh, you know, he had some memorable scenes, obviously. Days Confused and Wolf of Wall Street. Never really liked his rom-com stuff. Uh, the Lincoln Lawyer was boring. Um, what am I forgetting? Before uh, I, thought he, I thought he was underrated in Contact with Jodie Foster. Ooh, I like yeah. that. He was okay. Yeah. Look, he was very yeah, young at that point. That's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. You remember when he was on the sidelines for the UCF Marshall football game in 06 because they were promoting yeah. We Are Marshall? Yeah. Yep, yep. And uh, and uh, was our boy uh, made the field goal at the end to totally spoil the yeah. party. Yeah, yeah. We could talk about Torres, Michael Torres. Torres yeah. Nothing right. He became a meme uh, in True Detective, a, a really bad season for a show that a lot of people liked. I didn't like that season at all. I wasn't. I didn't think it was so bad. I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but it was. Yeah, it was. People love that. Oh, show. and uh, and uh, let's not forget U five seven one. Uh, yeah, another good performance. <laughs> Murph, excited. It's, what you don't like U five seven one? I know. Wow. I, I I have not I have not seen it. You haven't whoa. seen Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. We've got some breaking news here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff Sharon has seen a movie that Brian Murphy has not. I uh, you have seen how many films in your life? Four? Five. <laughs> One of them is definitely U five seven one, however. Great. Uh, I, I look, I congratulate you. You want a cookie? <laughs> Oh God, he was in Angels in the Outfield, by the way. Yeah, I saw that, but I forgot. What was his that. role that in was... Angels in the Outfield? Uh, just play, some random I player. I, I I don't remember that. Uh, I, I didn't see him in the gen. I didn't see him in the Gentleman or all these other rom coms that he did were not good. We're hmm. trying to get Murph fired up for the Golden Globes, the 78th edition of the Golden right. Globes. I know. I mean, hey. I know it's not the Oscars, Murph, but it's hey, it's what we it's all we got right now, Murph. No, 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 no. We don't have it. We don't need it. Golden Globes are trash. They're always trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come on, it's a fun night of television, isn't it's it? The Hollywood foreign press out of here. Nobody wants to see that. While you cram in movies that don't deserve to be awarded into categories no one asked for. Stop. <laughs> I love it. That's all I wanted. I, so I, I got, that's what I wanted from the show. I just wanted Murph to go off on the Golden Globes. I just wanted it. So, you know, that was my goal and I accomplished. I'm uh, Matthew McConaughey played outfielder Ben Williams in Angels in the Outfield. I forgot he was bad in Sahara, too. I saw that movie. That movie was not good. <laughs> right. um, I mean, really, his career has been great since like 2012. But there's a ton of misses before that. Nobody remembers the missus. But he was a different actor. He really he was a different actor before before that. I mean now he's he's legitimate. Now he's you know, you put him in anything and he's usually solid. Before then he was just he was just a, you know He was a guy. A, he was a one bit character. Yeah. Wow. This wow. is great analysis. Wow. Right? This, this is this is, is the kind of bullet? analysis you don't get anywhere aside from the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here right. to tell you. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this thing up here. Uh, thanks again to Anthony Lenihan for joining us earlier. Uh, and thanks also to uh, all the staff. Got, you guys have been great. Um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a busy time right now, but, uh, but we've really tried to pull it together as best we can to get the most important news out to you. Thanks again to Jeremy for 
his hard work on the newsletter every day, and we're going to uh, keep on rolling through this uh, the, these nightcaps that we do, Eric, on Mondays. Man, it's 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 busy. It's wild. <laughs> we have exclusive thoughts from Brian Murphy on baseball. Yes. I mean, where else are you going to get? We got to get you, Jeff, to kind of give your exclusive thoughts on volleyball in that nightcap. Maybe that's what, you know. I, you know, so the, I, I like that formula, and we're going to do that. We are definitely sure. going to do that. I'm thinking we're, that I, I like where we're going with that. Some so. people have suggested I should comment on the softball, so I'll do that for all you. That I, okay. I, I, I will do that. And uh, let's not let's also not forget. Uh, let's see. Oh, I wanted to uh, pull this up here real quick. Hey, you know, uh, rowing makes their debut this coming week. They play. Uh, or they they uh, they have an event on Saturday. Then an exhibition, right? Against Tennessee. Against Tennessee. That's right. They get started Ooh, the again. First. So. Wait a minute. Whoa. We could have a first... we, we could have a, a six peat this year. From Wait UCF a minute, rowing. Tennessee UCF rowing. This is the first meeting That's since you know right. who left in Knoxville. That's Ooh. right. Okay. Just, is this a home and home? Is this a home and home? Is this is this a lake and lake? And they're gonna go on each other's lakes? Was this like what Terry Mahajer met this week about like calling Danny for a home and home? I thought it was football, <laughs> but hey, if it's rowing, I'll take it. Okay. Gosh, all right. So we got very, that. Thanks very to important. Sorry, Barry. Go, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead, Jeff. Go I was going to say thanks to Danny Medina, who's been following what uh, Terry Mahajer said uh, uh, to Mike Bianchi earlier this week. You can follow that on Black and Gold Banneret as well. Go ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. I totally forgot that I saw Amistad when I was 13, and I haven't seen it since. <laughs> and Matthew McConaughey was like I had a starring role in that. I totally forgot he was in that because I haven't seen it in more than 20 years. When is the Oscars? Because I know that's your event. Is that like? Is there a, like we we have to do like a special? This is Oscars what happens when I try show. to end the show? Couple months, uh, I believe it's April twenty sixth. Wow, is there any UCF conflicts late, right? there? I know you've looked that up. There's no UCF conflicts. Uh, when's the NFL draft? The NFL draft ends that day, I think. Right? Oh no, I mean, no. If it, if there is a, a conflict, I mean, we're just gonna have to to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> no, the wait. The draft ends May first. You're you're out. Of, you're you're good. You're good. Uh-huh. May okay. 1st. April right, April twenty gotcha. April twenty fifth is your Oscars uh, night. Okay. And the draft uh, is okay. April thir- April 29th through May the first. That's right. So you've got people got plenty of time to go out and try to find Minari and uh, Nomadland uh, and and the Father. A lot of good films, Jeff. You should go see some films. Yeah, I'm going to have to find those somehow. When do they come out on Netflix? (laughs) (laughs) You laugh. I'm not joking. I know you're not. It's sad. Uh, UCF Baseball, coincidentally, uh, uh, is playing ECU in Greenville on on, uh, Oscar Day. (laughs) So you're telling me. That <laughs> the, the the weekend of the Oscars is also the weekend of UCF's most important conference series. Yes, it is. In Greenville. Well, I'll tell you what, baseball is going to be mighty disappointed. <laughs> God. Oh, Don't let Love Lady know whatever you do. Uh, so what's softball doing that weekend? By the way, April twenty. They're they're at they're at plans either way. I know that. Yeah, well, guess guess what, Eric Lopez? They're at Memphis. Hi, Merv. We could do it. Night shift special edition. The Oscars, huh? I mean, Uh, what time? Uh, It depends because I may or may not be a function at a certain hour on Oscar Sunday. Oh, I know for sure you're not going to, which is why I won't. 
<laughs> Maybe we'll talk about Wait, it the day after. Are you going to write about that UCF movie we've been talking for like a year? Or... Oh, boy, we, we, need right. a, we need a movie-related listicle here, uh, Murphy. It's so, some, something like yeah, something like you know if if you you see Hollywood doppelgangers like something like that. Come on, UCF, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you God, know, I mean, it, it, George Clooney is Greg Lovelady. Uh, All right, we got time. We got time for this. We got time to figure. They got yeah. We'll have to we'll have to spend some time fleshing this out. You know, here's what you do. Okay, UCF film celebrity doppelganger. Send them to us on Twitter. UCF underscore there banner. You go. Okay. We've been asking for this for a while. We want to hear. We want to hear from you. And Murph will put it on to a, like a big article production. Yeah, we'll put if it together. Some, if you threw some sideburns on McConaughey, like, wow, could, it's full circle. I love it. That's good. Pass, yeah, I know, right? You could pass for a love lady, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got the hair pulled off. I think. Yeah. This, yeah. Folks, this is called live production. This is like a live meeting right here. We just it's, got up with yeah. content idea. This is, I mean, this I, is how we come I'm up sure, with content. I'm sure the listeners just want this to end. This has been the most fun <laughs> I've had in this podcast yet. Oh, God. Wait till Oscar night. All right. Let's get out of here. For uh, for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Make sure you uh, follow us at uh, UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and, of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on whatever device you may have, uh, Android or Apple. Uh, if you already subscribe to this podcast, leave a comment uh, and a rating, and please tell a friend so that we can uh, so we get a larger UCF audience of people who uh, love UCF sports as much as we do. So for Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy, and all of us here at Black and Matter, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>